Welcome back to Mama Mystery. I am your host, Kelly. And I am your co-host, Austin. And this is a podcast where we talk about true crime stories. I tell Austin a story he has never heard before, and he gives me his genuine, unscripted, authentic reactions. And I've never heard of any true crime, so it's not hard to catch me off guard. For sure. Before we get started, we're going to shout out some Patreons. Let's go. ready? We have Jenny Myers, (laughs) Sierra Adair. Nicola Nicola Hawkins. Yes. Emily Blakely. Yes. Chelsea Jago. Right on. Katie Rogers. Awesome. Kristen Solano. Thank you. Elizabeth Wiley. Gracias. Callie Kratz. Yes. And Donna Rodriguez. Shout out, Donna. Yay, shout out to our Patreons. Thank you so much for joining our Patreon. If you w- would like to join, you can go to patreon.com slash mama mystery. You get a bonus episode every month. You get ad-free episodes. You get access to our private Facebook group where you can catch us sometimes record these live and then it just like stays on the page so you can re- watch a video of us recording. Mm-hmm. Um, and you also get stickers in the mail. And the stickers come with an autographed note from Kelly, which if you save those, someday they might be worth some serious cheddar. <laughs> serious cheddar. As a collector, I'm telling you right now, might be worth some cheddar. Might be. Um, all right, so today's episode is recommended to us by Chelsea Parker. And if you want to recommend an episode, you can go to mommymystery.com, hit that request a episode form, fill it out, and, you know, I'll add it to my list. Let's go. All right. Today we're talking about the Caffey family. Okay. You've never heard of them. I know. But the Caffey family lived in a rural area of Alba, which is a small town in East Texas, about 85 miles east of Dallas. Their home was situated on a large plot of land surrounded by woods and creeks. And the Caffey family, there you go, making noise. I apologize. I bumped our table. If you're new here, that happens. So we're not even going to edit it out. That's just the way it is. Tell me roll. The home was situated on a large plot of land surrounded by woods and creeks. And the Caffey family was a seemingly typical Texas family. Terry Caffey worked as a home health aide for Praxair, delivering oxygen equipment and hospital beds to patients' homes. He also pastored at their church sometimes, but he wasn't ordained yet, although I believe he had plans to get ordained. So very active in the church. He was a very devoted father. Um, The whole family, honestly, was very active in the church community. His wife, Penny, was a homemaker who homeschooled their children, Matthew, Tyler, and Aaron. And Penny also played piano at their church, and she was a talented seamstress. Nice. So really just like beaver cleaver type home, right? The Caffey kids were shy and well-mannered. Matthew was 13 years old, and he was a kind kid, a talented musician who played in the church band. Tyler was eight years old and was known for his love of sports and his outgoing personality. And Erin, the oldest child, was 16 years old, and she was also involved in her church's youth group. She often sang in the choir and was known for having a beautiful voice. She also worked at Sonic, and she was one of the only employees there to actually wear the rollerblades while she car hopped. I never see that anymore. Yeah, that's old school, but that's, that's true Sonic. Yeah, like that's quintessential Sonic. I dig it. Classic. So when Erin turned 16, she started going to public school as a freshman in high school. And this is also when she got her job at Sonic. And then in September, while she was working there, she met a boy named Charlie Wilkinson. Charlie was 18, and he was a little rough around the edges, a bit of a bad boy. Um, 
Aaron fell for him. Hook, line, and sinker. There's just something about bad boys that some girls like to go after. Bad boy, bad boy. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> what was that? Bad boy, bad boy. Oh. What you gonna do? <laughs> Well, apparently they just clicked. Charlie came from a broken home. He didn't have a stable place to live. He kind of floated between relatives' houses. But something in him just sparked an interest in Aaron. And I don't know if it's that, you know, that like... I can sti- fix it. Yes, exactly. That's Bob, stereotype. what is that called? Um, oh, Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck-It Ralph. Oh. I'm going to wreck it. And then there's the guy that goes, I can fix it. Yeah. <laughs> if you have kids, you probably recognize that. If you don't... Learn it. We're going we're gonna to move on if you don't. So when Aaron told her parents about Charlie, they were a little skeptical at first. Aaron was very naive, and she didn't have the best track record for choosing boyfriends in the past. So Penny and Terry invited Charlie over for dinner so they could just get to know him. And when Terry introduced himself for the first time, he held out his hand and he said, you must be Charlie, to which Charlie replied, yeah, and you are? Not a great first impression. Uh, yeah, that's that's bold. Very bold move. And I guess he was like sitting in Terry's chair and he was, you know, it was like Terry's recliner, but he was sitting in it sideways with his legs hanging off the armrest. Oh, and he's no like, way. that's not how we sit in chairs. And mm. it was just a bad, bad impression. And things only got worse from there. Charlie was caught multiple times going through their medicine cabinets, even after he had been confronted by the parents. And he would be like, oh, I'm just looking for, I have a headache. I'm just looking for medicine. And they're like, well, you need to ask. You don't just go through people's stuff. What a dirt bag. And even after being confronted, he still got caught doing it again. So he was really just like disrespectful. And When they would take him to church, he would even act inappropriately at church, feeling Aaron up, putting his hand up her shirt in front of other people, and like just making people really uncomfortable. And their relationship quickly progressed, and Charlie became obsessed with Aaron. And I'm sure it was mutual, but he was showering her with gifts, and he became a bit controlling and obsessive. And then one day, Charlie gave Aaron a promise ring. And it was actually his mom's wedding ring oh. that he gave to Aaron. And this really upset Terry because he's like, okay, things are moving way too fast. You guys haven't even been together six months. Like, pump the brakes. So Terry and Penny sat both of them down and they laid down some ground rules that they had to start spending less time together. And instead of Charlie coming over every night after school, he could come over one night per week, but he had to leave by nine because he was just like really overstaying his welcome. So about four months into their relationship, Erin's parents noticed a really big change in her behavior. She started caring less and less about her appearance. She stopped wearing makeup. She stopped wearing like her carefully curated outfits like she used to. She used to be really into fashion and her appearance, and it was just kind of slipping away. Her grades started slipping as well. And that shy, well-mannered girl was just slipping away. And she was greeting her parents with more sass and attitude, saying some kind of hurtful things to Penny even. Just, it was completely out of character for Aaron. Which, walk like a duck, talk like a duck. Like, you become the people you are around the most. Yeah, I agree. So on February 27th, it was just three days after Terry laid down his own father to rest. Um, He had passed from a heart attack unexpectedly. And Penny called Terry upset, asking him to come home from work because of something that she had seen on the computer. 
They didn't have a computer in their house, but the kids would get on Penny's sister Mandy's computer when they would go over there to visit. And the last time they were there, Aaron got on the computer and logged into Charlie's MySpace page. And on that page were posts from his friends saying things like, bring your bitch over so we can all get drunk and have sex. And oh. just like talking hey, can about... Can you imagine if you saw that with your daughter? Like, No. Oh. I would... I would I think I would just spontaneously combust. I would literally be on fire. Go to prison. Yeah. (laughs) And then I would be in prison for killing somebody, for sure. Whoa. What? Is that not why you would go to prison? Well, you just can't vocalize that. Well, anyway, I didn't... We'll edit that out. Continue. (laughs) (laughs) Well, anyway, this was obviously a punch in the gut to the Caffies, as it was against everything they stood for. They are so active in their church. They are well-mannered. I mean, they were homeschooled, like... They tried so hard to keep their kids on this straight and narrow. And, you know, maybe there's something to be said for, like, what happens when you're too strict. We've seen that before in the wife swap murders. Do you remember talking about that case? I don't remember that, but I just, I was going to actually say this without going too far into it. Mm -hmm. I know kids I grew up with that they were, their family was doing everything they could to keep them in check. And it was like they were helicopter parents. And the second they had a taste of freedom, those kids went nuts. Yeah. I mean, it's not funny because like sometimes really bad things happen, but it does just go to show that sometimes being a little too strict can really blow up in your face. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they, they find this MySpace page um, and they just could not believe how off track Aaron had gotten and knew that they needed to put a stop to this relationship. This really was the last straw. So that night, Terry told Aaron she had to break up with Charlie and that as long as she was living under their roof and she was still under the age of 18, she had to abide by their rules, especially because there were two little boys there and they didn't feel like it was fair to them to disrupt their lives just so that Aaron could kind of do whatever she wanted. And, you know, Aaron didn't have that much longer to go. It was a year and a half before she was 18. So, you know, it's not a lot to ask for you to just be like, listen, like reel it in until you're 18, then you can go do whatever you want. Yeah, but while but you're here, you need to chill. To a 17-year-old's dumbass brain? 16, but 16, still, even worse. Yeah, they're like, that feels like an eternity. Yeah. I feel like you either have to approach it with, you're going to get out of my house for good, mm-hmm. or you conspire with your husband or wife, and then you'd say, hey, surprise, we're moving tomorrow across the country. Because <laughs> you're trying to tell them- And Charlie can't come. Yeah, trying to tell them you're going to break up with them, and that's what's happening. Like, good luck. How sad is that, though, that like you're so run by your kids that you'd be like, let's move across the country to end this relationship? I mean, that oh, would never happen, but yeah. we're getting off track. So the parents stepped in. They put an end to the relationship, and to their surprise, Erin actually seemed relieved by this, and she was acting like she was grateful to finally have an out. She told Terry that she'd been wanting to find a way to break up with Charlie for a while, but she just didn't know how to go about it. So Terry told her, blame me. That's fine. Tell him I said it's over. Do it tonight at church. Do it in the parking lot where you're at least kind of somewhat in public. And that's exactly what she did. And Charlie did not take it well. He reportedly peeled out of the parking lot. They were, you know, both upset. Aaron seemed upset too, but, you know, she said she'd be fine. And it seemed kind of like finally things might start turning back around. Well, that next night, Terry was woken up to the sound of his bedroom door slamming against the wall as it swung open. He sat up thinking maybe it was his son who came to his room after having a night terror, but the terror was just beginning. Holy shit, I got the goosebumps. A man stood in the doorway and just started shooting. 
Shots rang through the master bedroom, hitting both Terry and Penny. And then once they stopped, Terry, who had been hit multiple times, just laid still and quiet in hopes that the shooter would believe that he was dead and leave him be. He could hear the shooter trying to reload his gun, but the gun must have jammed. And then he could hear screaming and crying coming from Matthew and Tyler upstairs and the cries from Matthew saying, Charlie, why are you doing this? Please, Charlie, no. Oh, man. And then there was another round of gunfire oh, and silence. I got the goosebumps. That is so freaking sad. Yeah. In that moment, Terry realized what was going on and just who was attacking his family. It was Charlie Wilkinson. Terry wanted to get up and fight, but he couldn't move or feel his right arm. Mm. And so then he lost consciousness. He awoke to the smell and the heat of smoke and fire, and he was able to push himself up onto the bed and saw his wife, Penny, lifeless against the wall. Oh, my God. Her throat had been cut open. I mean, she had been also shot, but her throat had been cut open, and there was no sign of life at all. And then he thought of his kids, Aaron, Matthew, and Tyler, and knew he had to try to save them. But he was up against a wall of flames. His last bet was literally just to escape the fire. He was able to push himself through a bathroom window and then just fall to the ground outside. And then he crawled toward the front of the house, hoping for maybe another entrance that wasn't engulfed in flames so that he could go back in and try to save his family. But it was hopeless. The house was roaring in flames and the windows were literally exploding. There was no way he could go back in. His closest neighbors were Tom and Helen, which is so bizarre because oh, that, that is my parents' names. That's weird. That Those are my parents' names. Sorry, <laughs> grammar's hard. Um, yeah, Tom and Helen, who lived about 400 yards away through the woods. So he started the long trek to their house, and with his right arm completely useless and unable to move, he pushed through with what little strength he had in his left arm and his legs. He would crawl and rest, crawl and rest. It literally took him about an hour to finally reach his neighbor's house. At one point, he came to the realization that he was the only one who made it out alive, and if he didn't go get help, he wouldn't be able to tell anyone who did this. And with that, he mustered his last bit of strength to get through the woods, through barbed wire fences and gates, through a creek, like literally had to wade through water to finally reach his neighbor's porch. And the moment Tom answered the door, Terry said, we need help. Charlie came and shot us all. And Tommy said, what about Penny and the kids? And Terry responded, they were all dead. Man, I got the goosebumps. That is a heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Psychopath. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. In the summer of 2020, it was a rough time for me. I was going through a lot and discovered some things about myself that I wasn't expecting to find out, all thanks to a random gift that someone sent me, but it completely rocked my world and I knew if I'm going to get through this, I'm going to need someone to help guide me through these really uncharted waters. And that is where BetterHelp came in. I got to know my therapist and she got to know me and she helped me navigate through some really tough stuff and I learned so much about what I was truly capable of. Getting to know yourself can be a lifelong process, especially because we're always growing and changing. 
Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through those things. So BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash mama mystery to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash M-A-M-A mystery. Now back to the show. So when EMTs and sheriffs arrived, they were able to ask Terry who did this to them. And he told them it was Charlie Wilkinson. Terry had been shot at least twice in the back. One bullet lodged into his shoulder and another in his rotator cuff. Another shot his upper arm and damaged a nerve, rendering that arm useless after the the attack. And he was also shot in the right side of his face, which went through his sinus cavities and exited through his left ear canal. So it really truly is a miracle that he survived, but it was hardly any solace knowing that his whole family was dead and that his life was destroyed. Mm -hmm. So when Terry woke up in the ICU, his sister Mary was there and she told him, well, Terry, we've got some good news. Aaron is alive. And when Terry asked what happened, his sister told him that she had jumped out of a second story window and ran into the woods to hide and that she was in a hospital in Sulphur Springs getting checked out at the time. Sulphur Springs? Mm-hmm. Texas? Mm-hmm. So, see, when Terry told detectives the name Charlie Wilkinson before he was rushed away in the ambulance, they knew exactly who he was talking about. This is a really small town, and Charlie was a troublemaker, so they wasted no time going to find him. They found his car parked outside of Matthew Wade's trailer. So they stopped there, and they knock on the door, The trailer was this single wide blue trailer. It was run down, completely surrounded by trash. The front porch was like disconnected from the trailer. The outside walls were patched with mismatched sheets of steel. I mean, it just, it was a dump. Mm -hmm. And when a teenager answered the door, they asked if Charlie was there. And Charlie stayed there regularly, but the teen wasn't sure. So he allowed him to come in and just look for themselves. So the police waded through bags of trash, empty beer cans, entering room by room. First, they found Charles Wade and his girlfriend, Bobby, asleep in a bed. And then further down the hall, he pulled back a sheet that was acting like a makeshift door and found Charlie Wilkinson laying on a mattress, awake, wearing jeans and no shirt. So they dragged him outside in handcuffs and asked him if he was involved in the murders. And he told them he wasn't, of course, but the blood on his cowboy boots proved otherwise. Back in the bedroom where Charlie was found, police were searching for any other evidence that could link him to the crime. So they found a camouflage purse with Aaron's ID inside, as well as a used condom on the floor. And then in the corner of the room was a mound of blankets, and as he lifted one up, he saw blonde hair, and it was there that he found Aaron. She didn't seem to know what had happened or where she was. All she could say was the word fire. But from there, she was taken by ambulance to the hospital. 
A rush of relief flooded Terry's body as he wanted to know when he could see her. He was just so thankful to know that at least somebody survived. Mm -hmm. And Mary assured him that she would be there soon. But then as time passed, hours went by and she still wasn't there. Terry asked what was going on and he could tell that people were acting a little weird around him, like as if they were kind of hiding something. And then finally Mary broke down and told him he had a right to know Aaron was arrested because they were saying she no was involved. Way. Holy shit. You know, initially he refused to accept this answer and he asked a detective, what kind of involvement did she have? And he said her involvement was great. Holy shit, Kelly. Mm-hmm. Terry learned that there were two additional assailants involved in the, ta- the attack Charlie was assisted by his friend Charles Wade and his girlfriend Bobby Johnson, the two that were found sleeping in the trailer. Mm-hmm. So I guess they had promised Charles Wade $2,000 from the safe that was in the Caffey's home because Charles was going through a custody battle over his two-year-old daughter and could use the money for his attorneys. What a dirtbag. Bobby drove the getaway car while Charlie and Charles went in and killed the Caffey's. But they all insisted that this was Aaron's idea, that she was the mastermind behind all of this. They said that Aaron had been talking about wanting to do this for at least a month because her parents were interfering with her relationship with Charlie. So Charlie, Charles, and Bobby said that they tried to talk her out of it. They told her, just run away. But she didn't like that idea. She had her mind made up, they said. And it's just like you said, when you're 16, an hour or an hour and a half, a year and a half mm-hmm. can feel like a lifetime. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that any of them ever considered the consequences, the lifelong consequences that this was going to have. Right. So on the night of the murders, they showed up around 1.30 in the morning, but the family dog was outside and kept barking and they got scared and drove off. And then Aaron called Charlie six times in a row, asking, what the hell happened? Where are you guys? So she promised she would put the dog up and keep him quiet if they would just come back and finish the job. So they did. When they pulled back up to the house, Aaron hopped in the car, and they all drove to a cemetery nearby where they kind of hashed out the plans. Charlie would kill her parents, while Charles Wade would kill her brothers. So Charlie carried a 22 caliber, caliber pistol while Charles was armed with two samurai swords. After the killings, they broke into the safe where they didn't find $2,000, but they stole what money they could find from Terry's wallet and Penny's purse, which amounted to $375. Then they got back into the car and Aaron sat there smiling, saying, holy shit, that was awesome. And then I'm glad it's over. They drove around the back roads for a little bit before finally going back to the trailer where Aaron and Charlie had sex. Man, you got to be a complete, heartless, piece of crap person. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like a sociopath. Yeah, it's like I said before, we can't even fathom what that's like. Yeah, I can think of a lot of words to describe how I feel, but sometimes we have kids listening, so maybe I won't use that word. But yeah, Charlie, Charles, and Bobby were all questioned by police separately, and all of their stories matched up. And Erin, who claimed that she had been drugged and then taken to the trailer after escaping a burning house, didn't smell of any smoke, and her drug screen came back negative for any kind of roofies or GHB. 
So while she was on her way to the hospital to visit her dad in the ICU, the police officer who was escorting her, who literally was like, you're such a brave, brave little girl. She's only 4'11", by the way. Uh, She's a tiny 16-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. So this police officer is escorting her and gets a phone call instructing her to arrest Aaron for her involvement in the murders. And then Aaron's grandmother, who was with her at the time, also asked her if you, you know, if she had anything to do with this. And through tears, Aaron passionately denied it. But she was taken to the juvenile detention center where she was charged with three counts of capital murder, which if she would if she were to have been charged as an adult, is punishable by the death penalty. But since she was a juvenile, even though she could be tried as an adult, if you're a juvenile, you still can't be given the death penalty. The maximum sentence would be life in prison. So one of her ex-boyfriends, Michael Washburn, had also come forward and admitted that Aaron had tried to get her to kill, or I'm sorry, tried to get him to kill her parents also. So she'd been doing this for a while, like trying to get somebody to kill her parents. He said that her parents didn't want them dating, and it, it, I guess, angered her so much that she was going to hire somebody to kill them, that every time she got a boyfriend that she really liked, her parents would try to break them up. And so she had just had it. Now, despite hearing all the evidence against his own daughter, Terry continued to visit Aaron and offer her his support. He even held her hand during the court appearances, which really puzzled many people in the community who were heartbroken and outraged over these senseless killings of their friends. Mm -hmm. Like, the details are really disturbing. Little eight-year-old Tyler was hiding in his closet in the fetal position and was stabbed in the back of the neck three times with a samurai sword. Matthew was shot in the face after looking in the eyes of his killer. Do you think she was just, he was so in denial and, I mean, loved her because she was his daughter? Or what do you think? You know, I think in the beginning it was denial. He had a lot of rage for Charles and Charlie and wanted the death penalty for them. And he even contemplated, he has admitted that he contemplated bringing a gun into the courtroom and just blowing their heads off because, like, that's how much rage he had. Mm-hmm. And then over time, he, you know, like, I, I guess he's a very religious guy. So he found a way to accept it. Yeah, he found grace and forgiveness in his heart. He even wrote a letter to the court asking them to spare Charlie and Charles's lives of the death penalty. What? Like, just give them life in prison. But, you know, that's not my place to say that they deserve death. So the boys were actually offered a plea deal in which they accepted and pleaded guilty to three counts of capital murder, in exchange for life sentences without parole. And then Bobby was sentenced to 40 years in prison for her involvement as well, and she's required to serve at least 20 years. Um, But four months after the murders, Terry reconnected with an old friend, Sonia Webb, and they started dating and were married after only a few months. In fact, they were married in the same church where his wife and two sons' funerals were held just seven months prior. I mean, that's really fast. And listen, like, I'm not here. (laughs) Okay, I'm judging a little. I can't even say I'm not here to judge. I'm not going to judge. I'm judging a little. Because let me tell you something, Austin. If I get murdered and our kids get murdered and you move on in seven months, I'm going to haunt the shit out of you. Do you understand? Let's not make this a personal thing between us right now. My eye is twitching. (laughs) That's how upset it has me. That's crazy. That, that's that's pretty damn. Doesn't quick. that just seem really hasty? I, I mean, like 
you're judging. I'm not going to judge. Oh, just judge. <laughs> Do it, please. Just judge with me. That's that's out there, though. That's that's quick. Well, they ended up splitting up, I think, in 2013 it was. And he even admitted that he moved on too fast and that it didn't See, work so out I'm because of that. Him. Yeah. But that that's really, really fast. I yeah. mean, I feel like that relationship was probably doomed from the start just because obviously it was too fast. And mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure they had a lot of people saying, like, are you sure about this? But that's so much to process. And, you know, I feel like him, some people out there, the way they would process it would be trying to move on. But obviously he wasn't able to move on because it didn't didn't last. Well, yeah. And then he got remarried again Mm. to another woman who supposedly is his second cousin. I don't know. There's like a lot of stuff. Okay. I didn't even really want to mention it, but it's, it's out there. And, you know, we don't have to talk about that anymore. It's just a very bizarre situation. It's something that I will never understand, hopefully. Um, but as a wife and a mom, I mean, I can't help but feel a little like sad for Penny because yeah. I doubt that's what she would have wanted. But I mean, I don't know. I don't know Penny that well. So. What a roller coaster episode. It's just a roller coaster. Like, I don't know. What are your thoughts? Like, you know, everyone grieves differently. There's no handbook to grief. And I get that. I know that. But. That just seems really fast. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We don't have to talk about that anymore, though. So once a month, Terry makes the three-hour trip to Gatesville in Texas, where Aaron is incarcerated. At Terry's request, she received a lesser sentence than life without parole. He wanted to make sure that she had something to live for. And so Aaron accepted a plea deal in exchange for two life sentences to be served concurrently, plus an additional 25 years. But with good behavior, she could be eligible for parole when she is 59 years old. Man, can you imagine like your quote unquote something to live for is you're in prison for the next 43 years with a chance to get out and enjoy your 60s and 70s? Yeah. Like, man, that's wild. And like, you just better hope your dad is still alive by then. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean... On the one hand, it's like a true testament to his faith. And, you know, there was a really cool... He wrote a book on this, um, and I read the book, but he included this excerpt where he went to the um, the site where the house burned down shortly after the incident, and he was just, like, devastated, crying out to God, like, why would you let this happen? Like, how could you let me down like this? And... Um, and then all of a sudden, like, because everything in the house was burned. He didn't have anything to remember his family by, right? Mm-hmm. And then, like, this little piece of paper kind of caught his eye, and it was kind of stuck up against a, a nearby tree. So this piece of paper, it looks like it was, like, torn from a book, and it was probably one of Penny's books because she was a really avid re- reader. But um, the edges of the book or of the page were all burned, and the very first thing you could make out was, Quote, I couldn't understand why you would take my family and leave me behind to struggle along without them. And I guess I still don't totally understand that part of it, but I do believe that you're sovereign, you're in control, end quote. And so it's obviously like a book, um, you know, talking, I think it's from the book of Job um, out of the Bible. Um, But he found that piece of paper, he framed it, and he felt like that was really just his sign from God that, you know, these are not, 
this is not something that he's capable of understanding because God's mm-hmm. ways are his own and he was just going to like lean into his faith and trust that God had a plan. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know. That's I mean, wild. I, I, uh, back to him, like moving on so fast real quick and mm-hmm. just in general, the whole thing, when you put yourself in, in those shoes and you try to imagine yourself in that as miserable as that is, mm-hmm. truly, if you had nobody and nothing from your like, imagine if right now everything from your life was wiped away. Everything. Mm-hmm. Like, you would want a relationship. You would want somebody to talk to, whether it be a friend, a girlfriend, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. Like, God, you would just be so lonely and your life's wrecked. Yeah, it's and insane. I know he struggled with suicidal thoughts for yeah, a long how time. How could you not? Yeah. Um, and, Jeez. you know, obviously this is a a horrible, devastating thing that nobody, Mm -hmm. you know, it's obviously rare that anybody experiences this type of grief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of survival's guilt too that played into that. And then knowing that your own daughter was the one that planned all this, like there's a lot, there's a lot to dive into. And I guess, you know. You know how everybody has their own shit? Like everybody does, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody has their shit. Some people's are worse. Mm Mm-hmm. This dude's shit mm-hmm. is sitting there telling somebody, so tell me a little bit about your background. Well, my daughter and her stupid boyfriend and their friends murdered all of the people in my family and mm-hmm. my house and everything was lost and burnt down. Mm-hmm. I mean, that dude's shit trumps everybody's. Mm-hmm. Not that it's a contest, but that's nuts. No, but I think his um, his mission is to turn it around for something good. And so he's done a lot of like ministry since and spreading his message about forgiveness and mm-hmm. grace. And I mean, if anyone can attest to what it means to forgive, I'd say it's him because yeah. I don't know that I'd have it in me. And thank God the dude has strong faith and whatnot because I'm sure that has helped him. Yeah. And I will be completely honest. You know, I'm not a... I'm not big into faith. Like I wasn't raised in a church. I don't know much about religion, but this definitely reading his book, like kind of had me leaning that way. Like maybe I do want to learn more. Maybe I need to get the kids into some sort of like structured church. I don't know. But I'm not the most religious dude ever, but I'm very like spiritual and think deep about stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I believe in God and everything. And I think that, man, in, in a situation like that, guys, I think it'd be a big testament to that helps you get through. Yeah. A lot. For sure. Because I feel like you could go one way or the other. Like I have a friend who lost a child and I just think, man, that would really, really test my faith. No Because what kind of God would allow something like that to happen? I think that's the natural first question, question that enters your brain when something like that happens. Like what kind of God would allow something so horrible to happen to a child? Mm -hmm. But, you know... That's that's an episode for another day. That's a discussion for another day because I know, you know, there's a lot that could be said for all of that, but we don't have to get politics, all into religion, that. all that. We'll leave it alone. Is that the episode? That's all she wrote. And tomorrow we'll be back with some headlines. We have some weird stuff going on this week. There yeah. was a guy out of like Georgia who was who went missing and then he was found wrapped up in a rug or something and they're saying there's no foul play suspected. Like, it reminds me of the Debbie Collier story who went missing after she sent her daughter this creepy Venmo that was like, they won't let me go. The key is by this house or by this pot in front of the house. Here's a bunch of money. And then she was found burned, half yeah, that nude. Was weird. Yeah. And they said it was a suicide. I'm like, can someone explain this to me? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow we're going to dive into that that story about the guy in Georgia that was just found. And I'll probably update on Debbie Collier too because I need answers. 
I need answers. And you're going to have some good news for us tomorrow. Mama. Mystery. Out.